Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. Today I'm joined by the queen of passive income herself, Lisa Johnson, how are you doing? I'm all right. I feel like we talk all the time. It feels like we're just having a normal chat rather than a podcast chat. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Um, so by the way, a bit, bit of context and background for, for our audience. So Lisa and I, we, we didn't know each other until about two years ago. Yeah, about two, years, two, two and a half years, yeah. And it was actually one of our clients, um, uh, the amazing Susie Ashworth, um, who I said to her, she was speaking at one of our events and I went like, who else do you know? amazing uk female um that could like absolutely like nail it and teach an amazing um slot at expert empires and she went lisa johnson i went please introduce us and i think it's fair to say that since then we, we've yeah we've got our house on fire and i think um we've got a lot in common we see things the same way got a lot of values that are aligned um you know we've spent quite a, little, a bit of time together uh, at a retreat and then You've spoken to Expert Empires a couple of times. So I'm really pleased to be doing this. Um, have we had you on the podcast before? No, I don't think you have. I was thinking about it. I don't think I've been on. I think what we did was we did an interview in advance of you speaking to Expert Empires. Yeah. And I might have used the audio of that uh-huh. interview the podcast, but nothing that was that was done specifically with the, with the podcast in mind. So I'm going to dive straight in. You are the queen of passive income. Um, but your background was, well, you often talk about it, like you kind of came from no money. Um, do you think that helped, hindered? Like, what do you think your upbringing and the lack of money in your upbringing, how did that impact yeah. or negatively how you've ended up? It, it, it's done both in different ways. So at the beginning, it definitely negatively impacted how? me trying to make money because, because of the things that had happened to me when I was younger. So I grew up in a council estate. So there was that side of things like just not ever seeing anybody that had a lot of money so I think we have to believe that something's possible to try and get there and I because I didn't see that it was there I didn't believe it was possible um but more than that I was I was bullied at school because I was poor I went to a private school so I got a scholarship and so the people there were all rich and so my head for a long time my subconscious was like rich people bad people rich people bullies you know rich people make your life hell and so you know if I was at home on my council estate and if somebody came past in a really nice car like my parents and friends wouldn't go oh look at that amazing car and the amazing person in it like they would be like look at that tosser in the mercedes um and so in my head it was never a good thing to be rich and so when i started in business actually that was something that and i didn't start my business until i was like 40 39 40 um but even in all the jobs i'd had up until that point and i'd done things like i'd been a lawyer I'd been an investment banker. I'd done things where you should really have earned some good money, and yet I hadn't. And I think it was all. So I think I think a lot of the people listening can probably relate to this, and um, you know, might have been raised in an environment where, let's say, beliefs about money may not have been conducive and supportive to having a wealth mindset. Let's say. So, h- how did you shift the thinking? How did you unravel it? Yeah. So the way I, I can't do, and people told me to do positive affirmation, like write down what's going to happen. You know me, I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. 
So I was like, okay, what do I need to do to shift these beliefs? And my belief patterns come from evidence. I'm very evidence-based and very scientific. And so I went and found people that came from the same background as me, that had lots of money, that had been self-made, and that weren't thought of as bad people because of it. So people that were giving money away, you know, that were doing amazing things for charity that had come from the kind of background I had. And once I could see that, that did change things for me. It made me realize that, well, if other people can do it, I can do it. And one of the things that you will have seen me do now is I talk about money a lot online and I, I put on my Stripe statements, you know, like I show people, I break things down how I made that money. The reason I talk about that so much is because if I'd have seen someone like me, I would have got there quicker. It was just, I didn't believe it existed. So I want to be that person for others. Yeah, let's go back a couple of steps because there must have been a point where you had an awareness because you go, I had this mindset that people that have a lot of money are bullies and it's a bad thing. In order for you to make the conscious decision to seek out people that had come from a poor background, that had made money and weren't tossers, you must have had a conscious the most yeah, important yeah. that triggered their desire to seek that out. Yeah, there was a couple of things happened. The first thing was I had I started a wedding business, and at the end of the year, I'd done I'd done like really good weddings, like thirteen full planning weddings, and I worked out that I was earning one pound fifteen an hour at the end of it. So I was like, this there's a problem here. I'm never going to be able to leave my nine to five job to do this full time. So there was that, and that. Well, hold on, you you were working a full time job and doing a wedding business simultaneously. And bringing up four-year-old twins on my own, yeah. Jesus. Um, so, <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I did an interview um, earlier this week. I've done so many this week. I've, I've been doing loads of podcast interviews. I can't remember who it was with. I was with a girl called Cordelia, who's one of our clients in Mastermind. Um, similar, she was like full-time nurse. She had three kids under the age of four and started a business. I'm going like... You're superheroes to me because I've never had to deal with that. So sorry to interrupt. No, but, I think back um, to it now and I don't really know how I did it, but you do. When you need to get out of poverty, you you will do it. But what was the motivation for starting the wedding business? Why weddings and not something else? Because it was the first thing I thought of. If I'm honest, there was no real motivation. I was working in a nine to five job. I'd had to leave a really good job, 60,000 pound job because I'd had twins. Um, and was on my own and was working all the hours. Went back down to being a office junior office assistant because it was the only job near my house that I could get like 20 grand and while I was there I got bored because I'd been used to a lot of responsibility and so I thought well what can I do maybe I can start a business but because I didn't know anyone that started a business I just looked at what I knew I'd already been married twice at this point I knew weddings so that makes you an expert on weddings okay. <laughs> I love it I love it so it was like that that is the thing that I'm gonna do now I've been married three times so I've been a proper expert but yeah so that's what I did and started this wedding business. But again, didn't know what I was doing. Didn't just, you know, was doing a lot of work, but not making a lot of money. So that was the first thing that changed. Second thing was I was out with a load of girlfriends in a pub. And we were, they were taught, I'm going to be really honest. They were talking about the sexual position been in the night before, right? They were going into graphic detail. And then wow. I asked somebody five See, minutes by later. Way, by the way, this doesn't happen when I go to the pub. So... Like, I'm getting a rare insight now as to what women really talk about when they're alone in the pub. I'm, this is, I'm very privileged. We were like proper delving in, and then five minutes later, in a different conversation, I asked someone how much they earn. The horror that I had asked 
dared to ask someone a question about money, like it's so vulgar, it's how are we talking about this? When we've just been having that conversation made me realize that the reason that I had never been able to make this money and that I had a bad money mindset is because I'm around people that just would never talk about it. And if something is vulgar, then of course I'm not gonna like call it in. But you know what's fascinating? Um, first of all, I do think that's a very British thing. I think it's it is. less so in America, and you and I both spent a lot of time in America and around people there. So I think it's probably more a British thing, but it's it, it really, you make the point brilliantly that talking about sex positions is less taboo yeah. and vulgar than how much money you make. I mean, on what on what planet does that make any sense? And by the yeah, way, should, why should has this to, happened? And to me, should be able to talk about all of those things. But but like that just shows you how weird and twisted people's mindsets are around money that that it feels so weird and uncomfortable to talk about that. And it was in a 10-minute space. That was the thing. It, was, <laughs> it just like kind of hit me. And so then that's when I knew I had to do some work on it. And I started reading some books first because I didn't have any money at the time. I was like 30,000 in debt. So which, which, so which books did you read first? I read, the first one I read was Denise Duffield Thomas's Get Rich, Lucky Bitch. The second I read was Jen Sincero, You Are a Badass at Making Money. And those two books made me realise the reason I wasn't making money is it, it was all in my head. Like I wasn't allowing myself to make any money because I didn't want to be this person. Um, and so that's when I started seeking out help and and yeah really just becoming a bit more self-aware I wasn't really into self-development or any of those kind of things I wasn't really self-aware that my thoughts could could mean things and that I could actually be self-sabotaging myself until that point um but very quickly once I've done that work things very quickly turned around in that first business um and I learned on that job you know when I started this business five years ago this this strategy business the reason it was so successful so quickly people say you kind of came out of nowhere. You were successful really quickly. I wasn't. I just learned everything in that wedding job when it went all wrong. Mm. Um, you know, we, we failed enough there to be able to learn from it. So what was the, uh, what inspired the transition from the wedding business to the current business that you're in today? I, in the wedding business, I did a load of work, worked on my ideal client, started learning about business, going to every webinar, you know, the drill, like when you get in, when you start really wanting to learn about business, you're into everything yeah. and started implementing. And I turned my business around to be the most well-known urban wedding planning business in the UK. Wow. And that, and By the way, you know, I, know, I know you don't mind talking about money. So give me some numbers. So you went from earning the equivalent of one pound 15, I think you said an hour. Um, so a six figure business. And uh, yeah, you turn it into a, yeah. a six figure business. Yeah. Just the six figures it was, which the wedding industry is like huge. Um, And so then people started coming to me who were in the wedding industry going, how have you done this? How have you become so well known? I just started telling them and they started making more money. And then people started coming that were nothing to do with weddings and saying, oh, you have a business and you use social media, you know, these things. And I realized that actually that the thing that I had was a knack for explaining business in very simple terms without all the jargon that there is because of my own background. And so I thought one day, I, I kind of went, well, surely it's easier for me to impart this knowledge and get paid for that than to be standing on my feet for 48 hours every weekend during the summer when you think about it. You know, people always ask you what you want your life to look like. My life design was, I want to travel around the world with my twin. And I couldn't do that because I was at weddings every single weekend of summer. 
So that's when I started Lisa Johnson's strategy. And I gave, I was going to sell the wedding business. And I interviewed five people who wanted to buy it for a substantial amount. But all of them only cared about the money. They didn't care about weddings. And I could, I could see it. And you have to have a love of doing weddings to really sustain it. And so I did a competition. I gave it away to somebody that would financially not be able to have a business otherwise. And they're still running it today. And then I started this business. I love you. I love oh. that. That is right. <laughs> no, because I didn't know that. And, and even though we spent loads of time together, I didn't know about the contest and, and giving it away. And, and like that is just, that's, it's amazing. I love it. Absolutely love that. And and I think you're right. I think if you'd have sold it for a, a decent chunk of money, okay, you'd have got a decent chunk of money. They would have ended up failing in that business anyway because they don't love it. And I know it's not the same. Baby. Like yeah, your yeah. first business is your baby that you like really put, put everything, blood, sweat and tears into that business. Yeah. And so I didn't want that to happen. Yeah, and, and I know it's not the same, but I often talk about the events business. I'm like, I, I love events. Yeah. But because, and you have to, because if you don't love events... Um, like the the financial risk, the hassle, the energy it takes to deliver them. It, like and you can see, you do. You can really see that you love events when you're even doing them. Like everybody else on an event day would be knackered by the, the time they get to the bit you're doing. But that's when you come alive. And by and the way, I I am knackered at the end of it. Yeah, but like good knackered, satisfied knackered. Like I'm doing the thing that I was meant to do knackered, and that's you know that's I'm guessing you were the same with the weddings and. Yeah. You know, clearly you felt that doing the Lisa Johnson strategy business would provide the lifestyle. And by the way, I must say, you're doing a very good job of fulfilling the purpose of traveling the world with the twins because you're never at home. Yeah. Uh, I, when, when we just jumped on this Zoom this morning, um, uh, and Lisa had a video on, I went, I went, you're at home. Like that background looks vaguely familiar. I've seen it before. Normally when we speak, you are, you're somewhere else, yeah. some exotic location. So yeah, I think it's amazing that you've built the business that's allowed you to create that reality for yourself. Um, so, so let's talk about passive income. Um, yeah. Let's talk about um, what you've done to take the current business from, you know, you started it from scratch, mainly because as you said, People had come to you and asked you a lot of questions about how you've done stuff. Um, and I, I know that it, it, it's grown quickly, but it was steady and then it exploded. So I want to know what yeah. happened in the, what did you do at first for the steady growth, but then what did you do to make it explode? So the first year I was doing another one-to-one work and pretty much that's all I was doing. So people were coming to me and I was helping them for an hour or I'd do a package of like three months and that kind of thing, helping them with their strategy, just new businesses really. Yeah. And the reason I think it took off is all I didn't have a, a list or, you know, any of the stuff you're supposed to have, like a website. I didn't do any of that. All I had was a Facebook group and I'd go live in that Facebook group really often. And that was it. And so I made no money for the first five months, but then month six, I made a hundred K profit because wow. I was nurturing my audience. So that's, why it worked first and was that selling one-to-one yeah just one-to-one so i want to pause you for a second if you're in the early stages of your business listen to what lisa just said because by the way that is exactly what i suggest people do i go build a community whether it's a facebook group or, or elsewhere build a community nurture the community and offer your time your expertise in exchange for money get paid hone your craft perfect the skill understand what the wants, needs, desires of the audience are 
So you can then, and in your case, once you hit six figures pretty quickly, then you can do whatever you want. Yeah, because there are a million ways of making a million pound, right? But we don't know them all at the beginning. So at the beginning, I, I just did what I could see everyone else doing in this industry. And then um, I, I'd done okay. Like that first year, I made 220,000. But I had given up the nine to five by this point and the wedding business for a six in the morning to an 11 o'clock at night job really all I was doing was working I never saw the twins and then I forgot on my kids first week of school I forgot to pick them up and that was the turning point I forgot to pick them up and I was like oh my god like the mum guilt of forgetting I needed to pick up my kids I was so busy with work so I then started looking out for different business models and heard someone was talking on a podcast like this about passive income and they were actually debating whether it existed and so I got interested and started going down this rabbit hole of all these different types of passive income streams, whether it was like cryptocurrency all the way to courses and affiliate marketing and all of this, and decided to put half of the money that I had made so far into learning about or anything that I could to do with passive income, because I felt so sure that this was the way forward. And so I learned with some of the best in the industry, the courses, I went to so many different things and started to slowly implement some of the things that I had learned in year two. Now, some of those things didn't work and I just decided, you know, that's not for me or it didn't feel good to me. Some I tweaked, perfected what I'd been taught or added different layers on until it worked really well. And then at the end of year two, so if you think in that, that year one, at the end of year one, okay, 220,000, great, but I was working 80 hours a week. At the end of year two, I had been working 30 hours a month on average and I'd made over a million. And so then I was like, well, here we, here we go. This is what needs to be taught. This is what I need to be doing. And people were saying to me all the time, like, you are on holiday all the time. Like, we're watching your Instagram. How the hell are you making this money? And they could see I was, because I always break down my earnings. So they knew it wasn't a lie. And so they're like, how are you doing? And I thought, well, I can teach you. And so I started teaching people the easiest ways of making semi-passive income, which were things like courses, workshops, eBooks. Um, memberships, that kind of thing that I had done successfully. And that's when it kind of started to go a little bit more stratospheric um, in year two, but then in year three, COVID hit. So when COVID hit, we were about to launch our first affiliate launch. So we'd been doing it on our own, doing good 350,000 pound launches, happy as Larry. I'd taken on a couple of people in a team, but then COVID hit and we were about to do um, the biggest affiliate launch the UK had ever seen. Like no one had done one before that was big. They'd not in a, U, a US style. They'd done like small referral type schemes and I just wanted to go for it. And then I was like, oh my God, no one's buying. Like everybody's talking about how no one's buying now because COVID has hit and you know, no one's going to work. And I thought I either have to just scrap this or I do an affiliate launch and if it all goes wrong, because all eyes were on me, knowing I was going to do it, and I can just blame COVID. Like, actually, isn't this the best year to do it? And go, well, you know, then COVID hit, so it didn't work. And so I thought, well, bugger it, let's do it anyway, and did. And we went from doing £350,000 launches to, well, that one was a £1.7 million launch with a million in the first hour. And then we did one eight months later to see if it was a fluke and got £2.5 million. And now we've done three and, th and another 2.5 million. Um, and so we knew it wasn't a fluke and that actually this is 
what we needed to do and and it's results based you know people buy it because they see everybody who i've been working with shouting about how much money they've made you know we've made millionaires so um yeah that kind of is what took it to the six million a year it makes now Hey, real quick, if you've been listening to the Empire Builders podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I do not run ads on this podcast. And what you should also know about me is that I only partner with companies who I absolutely 100% believe in. And so I'm making an exception because of my partnership and my loyalty to Keep. So since 2010, I've been using Keep, which was previously known as Infusionsoft, to automate all the sales and marketing in my business, deliver world-class experience to my clients, run e-commerce reports, manage affiliates, partners, and loads more. I really believe that Keep is the best CRM on the planet for small businesses, for entrepreneurs that are building their empire. Many of my guests on this podcast use it, and pretty much all of my closest friends in the industry also use it. That should speak volumes. So uh, Infusionsoft recently rebranded to keep k-e-a-p and what they've also done is brilliantly made it even more affordable even more usable for businesses that are at different stages of their journey so go and get a free demo all you need to do is go to keep.com that's k-e-a-p keep.com forward slash empire builders and by using that link i've negotiated the best possible deal for Empire Builders subscribers. So go to keep.com forward slash Empire Builders. You get a free demo. And when you go through that unique link, it means you'll get the best possible deal because you're a subscriber of this podcast. So let's get back to the show. What, what I love, by the way, I'm just going to pick one thing now. And it's it's a little mindset thing. You know what I'm like. I always, I, I love to zo- zoom in on these little things. Where most people would have said, like in fairness you went covid no one's buying a lot of people would have taken that as a reason to pull back i nearly did you nearly did as well but but you actually flipped it and went hey this is actually a really cool way to have a good excuse if this fails yeah. and and that in itself i think is fascinating that you that you thought that way yeah. um you know like i think you can think positively all you like but, and you can, you know, you mentioned earlier about positive affirmations and things like that. But ultimately, if you're not careful, all you're doing is just saying stuff and affirming stuff that you don't believe. And, you know, it's going to take a long time for that to really sink into your nervous system, into your unconscious mind. What you did, I think, was you went, hey, like, I'm going to do this anyway, because if it doesn't work, it gives me a bit of an out. So, but ultimately, you still plowed on regardless um, and if you hadn't done that, I mean, that's a proper sliding doors moment. You go, if you'd pulled back then, there's no way you'd be where you are now. No, there's no way because one to one wasn't really working for people at that time. They needed to learn how to make passive income online. They needed that because of because they were not in work anymore. Um, so it was a good set of circumstances with people being paid furlough and that kind of thing and wanting to not go back to the business, the, the work they'd had it was a great opportunity for people to go well actually I do want a business and now is a great time to start and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right results um so yeah it was it was an interesting time and and continues to be you mentioned the mum guilt I want to ask a bit about this because um as you know a lot of my clients um 
We're about a 50-50 split, actually slightly more of our mastermind members are female than male. So about, I think it's about 54% female, something like that. Um, obviously, I don't fully understand this topic because I'm not a mum, but I know a lot of our clients, a lot of our audience have this going on where it's like, if I spend time with the family and I don't focus on the business, I feel guilty that I'm not working hard enough for the clients or, you know, that in the business circles and environment that people won't think I'm taking things seriously and vice versa. If I go all in on the business and I don't spend enough time with the family and with the kids, then they feel guilty about that. So just give me your perspective on it all. Cause you know, this better yeah. than I do. My perspective is that you are not ever going to not feel it in some way and that that's okay. Like there's always going to be things where you wish things were a little bit different. Now, I justify things. So for instance, I, I do work, you know, my husband is the person that does all of the school stuff. He was able to leave his job, come and work for me. So he does all the school stuff. You know, sometimes I can't get to see one thing that they are doing for five minutes in school. And they know that. But what they see and what they learn is a work ethic that is second to none. And I want them to have that work ethic. Um, they also when they first went to school, were very surprised that sometimes women do the childcare and the cooking and the cleaning because they have no clue. They would always believe that that was a man thing because of my setup. So I kind of like that they've got a different viewpoints and they've not kind of thought of it always the same way. Um, so yes, do I feel sometimes guilt? Yeah, if I'm on a phone call at eight o'clock and you know, I've got a Zoom call in and one of my kids is ill and Sam is having to deal with it instead of me. I will always have a twinge of, oh, I'd love to be able to do this. But at the same time, I think that whatever you're doing, you should go all in with it. So when I'm on holiday, which is a lot, I'm all in with them. But when I'm here, I'm all in with work. So it's a balancing act. I don't think anyone ever gets it right. But what I do think that we can do is allow ourselves not to feel guilty, to just tell ourselves that we're doing our best. And that that's okay. And that even when we're not with them all the time, as much as we'd like to be, they're learning something from that. Like my kids set up a business that failed. I taught them how to do that. And I allowed it to fail because I wanted them to learn that you have to put the work in. And now, you know, they used to tell me, do you have to be on your phone, mummy? Why are you on your phone again, mummy? They never say it now because they know the money comes from me being on the phone because when they weren't doing lives and things for their little business the business failed and so you know it just shows them what needs to be done and I don't think that's a bad thing yeah I, I agree and I don't think it's a bad thing I equally don't think there's a good or bad or right or wrong about this I think some people will be watching this listening to this and going I don't ever want my kids to see that because I don't think that's the right way yeah. and that's fine if that's your belief your perspective and and equally um, other people, I hope, I believe, will be inspired by this and they'll go, oh, actually, like the way Lisa's doing it, it's actually the way that I would love to do it. And this gives people permission to follow yeah. what they instinctively would like to do, but maybe a bit scared to do it. And all kids are different. You know, you'd know if your kids need you there all the time. Mine are like the most adaptable, flexible kids you've ever seen because they've not had that. They are passed around a little bit. And that, you know, when they first go to school, they're twins. So it's easier. They've always got each other. But when they first went to school, like, they didn't look back. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. I don't know if um, you knew this about me. So I, I'm an only child um, and was raised in, in essence by a single mum. And 
my mum was married twice when I once to my dad and then once to uh, another man when I was a little bit older um when I was I think seven or, or eight maybe when they got married they split up so there was a lot of um chaos a lot of moving around a lot of moving in with grandparents out and then back in and all sorts of stuff um and my mum I remember mum telling me a story of one of her friends who you know real solid family unit parents been together the whole time um and the mum saying to my mum like it's unbelievable how like mature level-headed especially after all you've put him through and my mum so my mum tells this story she told me this recently um and and obviously um well have you met my mum so no you don't you don't you don't you don't mess with my mum She's a ball breaker. You would not mess with her. But um, I think she bit her tongue a little bit. But but I think what she shared with me when we were having this conversation recently was she went, and whilst, you know, at the time I felt that it was, you know, it was painful for her and it was probably not ideal for me. She went, but looking back, like, in a way, that is what made you who you are. That's what yeah. built character. And it made me not need mommy all the time because... I was living with my grandparents and she was at work. Like she, she was, um, you know, like an exec in a big company, um, you know, lots of responsibility, working lots of hours. Um, but actually it was character building. And sometimes I'd stay over at friends' houses and like- uh, I and think there's a about- confidence to it, isn't there? Like my kids are just really confident because they've not had me to be there every single time a little argument breaks out. They have to find a way through things themselves. and. I don't think that this is a bad thing. Like, like all kids are different, but I really love the way mine are turning out right now. And so I'm glad that I've done the things I've done. You know, you know that one of mine is is non-binary. And in a, a situation that where they weren't this confident, I think that could be be bad for him. Um, but actually, he's completely sussed it out but on his own. He's fine. <laughs> and, and by the way, this, this is not to say that having a stable family unit with two parents and two kids which is what I have, um, yeah. is a bad thing either. It, I think it's just different, but, you know, and, and I mean, you know, just to tie up that little conversation, uh, like looking back now, I go, if my mum and dad had stayed together through my childhood, it would not have been good for anybody because they do not belong together. <laughs> I, I don't... I don't know how it happened in the first place. Obviously, I'm glad it did, otherwise I wouldn't exist, but it was not a good fit. So I'm going, look, it's all perfect. And I do think that, you know, you get, you get the journey and you get the lessons that you need to have. But I don't think, it, I guess the point I'm making is it doesn't have to be a certain way. There's not a best way no, to isn't. raise and, a family and run a business. And, and not just with family. Don't you think with all things like adversity wise, everyone has some adversity, whether it is that their parents have split up or whether, you know, they've been ill or finance issues when they were younger or something like that. I believe those adversity things really do push us to be the people we are. Like when I look at the people that have done amazing things that I look up to, they have a story, like something has happened to them with adversity in the past. And it's normally because when somebody that hasn't had any adversity in their life comes to a position where they're in a business and something doesn't work, they go, oh, well, I tried. I gave it my best. It didn't work. Somebody that's been through adversity never thinks like that. They go, well, I have to find a way around it, like I've always had to do my whole life. And they find a way. So I think adversity can be a great thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's actually the biggest concern for me with my kids. So I go, 
they have a pretty stable life. Yeah. They haven't they haven't grown up poor. They haven't um, had. But the, but look, here's the thing: you can't protect them from everything. No. There will be adversity. They'll no. have to deal with it. Um, and I don't know what that will be or when it will be, but they'll have to deal with it. So, yeah. and and I think the problem is as parents, the only thing you want to do is protect your kids from, from that. From yeah. Parents. Like I just want to stop them from feeling any sort of pain. And and uh-huh. and but no one was. And of course, our parents wanted to stop us from experiencing pain as well. And they didn't manage to do that. And nobody's parents managed to do it. But we still, I think as parents, we have this like desire to be the first parent ever to raise a child free of all pain. And like, it's an unattainable goal. It's an unattainable and shouldn't be there. Like when, when my kids started this business, everyone said to me, you know, just, if you just advertised, they had a little, like, uh, a subscription box for kids with book, books in. And it was doing quite well until they got bored. And then they said to me, if you just advertised it, you realise you could make this a massive thing. I was like, yeah, but then they don't feel any disappointment. And they have to feel some disappointment. Otherwise, they don't grow. And so I, I allowed it to happen. And yeah, of course, there were tears. And it's like, well, we failed. And I'm like, yeah, you did. But you won't next time because you've learned what you did wrong. And I think it's all right to do that. And like, everyone was like, you are so harsh. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> they'll learn. <laughs> are you in some strict do you think? With I think people? Sam's stricter than me, but he's the main carer. So like he, they're the one that they get him every day. So he's more strict than me. Um, but yeah, we like manners and, you know, just to, to make sure that when they're with other people, they don't care so much if they play up for us a bit, but when they're with other people, I want them to be on their best behavior. And, and they do what we get told all the time is they're so polite. Like we go on, as you can imagine, we go on a lot of first class flights and on those flights, I think when cabin crew see kids coming through, they sort of do this stance. And then about halfway through, have never been on a flight where this hasn't happened yet. They come up to me and they go, can I just say, I've never met kids as polite as your kids. I can't believe, my kids will go up to them and go, How are you? how's your day been? Like, they care about people and they've seen me do these things and so they pop it. That's it, that's it. They didn't, they didn't magically have that innately in them. They've modeled it and seen it. And that's why they are like they are. Yeah. And so they're always, you know, as long as people keep telling me they're polite, I won't feel bad for giving them a lifestyle that is possibly extravagant. (laughs) And by the way, I hope my kids aren't listening to this episode or watching this on YouTube because like, yeah, they don't get first class. (laughs) Um, When me and Nat go away. But when we take the kids, like they don't get that, so they're um yeah. They'll they be asking for it soon. They will be. They will be. <laughs> if they hear this podcast or watch this video. They will be. Um, they'll be asking for it. Well, Lisa's kid. These will have to take their kids first. But I might just get the team to edit that bit out. Bit out. <laughs> get out. Um. Let's talk about health. Yeah. So you, you're you're like me. I think the reason we get on so well. You you're an open book. You share um the good the bad the ugly um and i know that you know you've experienced and continue to experience certain health issues Mm -hmm. how do you how do you manage that manage your energy when you're building uh, an amazing business you're a mum i know that you you know you you don't have any intention of slowing down as far as building the businesses goes um so like maybe just share a little bit for those that don't know like what the health challenges are that you How, how do you deal with that few things so about four years ago 
I suddenly got diagnosed with what they, they don't really know what it is, but they think it's an embedded UTI. Now, any woman listening to this that's ever had a UTI, like is the most painful thing that you can possibly think of. And you, it, you're in discomfort 24 seven. And normally you take some antibiotics and, and it goes away. I went to have the antibiotics and it never went away. And this was four years ago. So I've not had a day from it since then. So it's like having it all the time. Now, at the beginning, I didn't know how I'd cope with that. And there's actually a 50% suicide rate for people that get this particular thing. And I can see why. But I do believe that you get used to certain things. Like I've kind of got used to living with it. It's not always easy, but I have got used to it. Um, But I had to make a decision whether how I was going to cope with it. So one of the first things I did when that happened was I bought on more of a team. So I was already at seven figures with no team and I, and I was trying to keep it very lean. But then I thought, you know what, for peace of mind and for health, let's bring on more people. So now I have a team of 10. So that's the first thing I did so that when I, you know, I do have days where I can't get up, that is okay now because there are people that can do things for me and there's no real uh, stop in the business. Um, then I got diagnosed, diagnosed again. So I just kind of started to cope with that up and down. And then I got COVID twice and I'm asthmatic. So I got it twice within a three month period and that's given me heart disease. So I've got pericarditis and myocarditis, which are inflammation of the heart muscles. And that meant I had to stop exercising at all. Um, and we're trying to get rid of that. Now we're trying to get on top of it. But that's been a, a, a good year and a half now that I've had that. So that can sometimes put me on the back burner. And again, it's about knowing that if I've got a launch, I won't do anything before or after it because I do have to properly manage my energy. And then more recently, uh, Sam, who is like the healthiest person I know, uh, we went to one of those MOT things because I was getting ill all the time. I was like, let's go and get one of those, you know, full-blown MOT checkout things. So I did that and I made him go. And he was like, I don't want to go. I go to the gym every day. I got a personal trainer. I'm like the healthiest person you know. I was like, but come anyway. Like, why not? Maybe there'll be something. And he had cancer and had no clue. So they diagnosed him with prostate cancer. So he's having an operation. Um, but they caught it early. And so it's all fine. But they said if you hadn't gone to that MOT, by the time you had symptoms, you'd been in stage three or four. So it was a, a you know, like a lesson for anyone out there is to just get yourself checked out for some things. Like, especially if you're a business owner, go and get an MOT. You don't know what you might have and you might need to put provisions in to make sure that your business is going to survive. Um, so yeah, I think that honestly, at the moment, every time I get a new thing, it's a bit like water off a duck's back. I'm like, okay, just add it to the list. Well, I mean, you, you know, you use the words, uh, the word adversity quite a lot throughout this conversation and and of course, from, you know, adversity in childhood, growing up poor, no one having any money, being bullied, being teased, all those sort of things, um, to then, you know, now the current health issues and all of that sort of stuff. There's, I, I think over time, it, it seems to me that really it's all just been great character building. And, and what you just said is now it's like it's just water off a duck's back because you're so used to it. But also I, I use it. So at the beginning, I wasn't going to talk. When I first got my first diagnosis, I was like, well, I'm not going to talk about this openly because people might think, oh God, I don't want to like pay this person to do a course. What if she can't show up? And like these kind of things, I was worried. Also in our industry, it's judgy. And it I, is judgy. That's, by the way, I, I love 
the industry that we operate in, you know, people are ambitious and positive and they want the best for themselves and for others. But it can be a bit judgy. Like it can be a bit, oh, you've got poor health. That must mean that you're not doing the right things. Yeah. And so therefore I don't respect you anymore yeah. and don't want to be a client anymore. I, like obviously the practicalities are, I don't want to pay you money for something that you might not be able to deliver. Yeah. But I, I, I'm, I'm really like, I dislike that. I can't tell you how many messages I've got in my inbox to say it's because you're working too hard. I work less than anyone I know. Or the people that are DMing you with unsolicited advice. Oh my God, it kills me. That thing you've got, here's what you need. And, and of course, you get a hundred of them and they're all telling you a different thing. So. Yeah, but mostly they're telling me to have forever living or airborne herbal teas. You know, it's mostly just a load of MLM stuff. Which, by the way, might be good products, but might equally, be. the motivation for messaging you probably isn't to no. actually serve its to sell your product right? exactly oh, honestly i can't tell you some of the things i've had like apparently i've got these things because i emotionally need to let something go and so if i had past life aggression that would help honestly i can't tell you the amount of things but i just think that we either decide that there are going to be some things in life that are going to come at us and they're going to be hard because there will be not just to me but to everybody there will be something that you're going to have to deal with whether it's relationships finances health something in your life and we either decide that that's going to stop us living the best life we can, or we decide it's not going to because we only get one life. And my motivation is death, which is a weird thing to say. But my motivation always has been that we are here for a very short time. And we can't keep, people say you run at 100 miles an hour, you're always doing something, it tires me out watching you. Because there's only so much time to do it, and I'm not wasting any of it. And so if that means I have to live with a few things while I'm doing it, then I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. Also, I mean, um, and this is all I'm going to give is my perspective, my opinion. I go, who made the rule that living longer was better? Exactly. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm, and by the way, I'm not saying it isn't. For some people, it might be. That might be the goal. But I go, ultimately, would you rather absolutely nail it and love everything you do every single day and cram everything in and you've got a good solid 70 years in you? Or would you rather work at a slower pace and not live the life you really want and live into your 90s? And by the way, the ideal for me would be both. I'm like, I want to be oh, old <laughs> and get it all done would be my goal. But like, you know, I'm not saying that one or the other is better or worse. And, and by the way, like a lot of the things you just spoke about, you know, alternative health products and therapy and all that stuff, I totally believe in that stuff personally. And I think the point I was making is like... It's the, the unsolicitedness of it that's the bad thing. I also believe in a lot of it, and I've tried a lot of it, but it's when people come straight at you without knowing anything yeah. about you. Yeah, and, and I guess the point you were making as well is like you... you like me, you're open book, full transparency, you share the good, the bad, the ugly on social media as well. And I think what you were sharing was you were, ner you were nervous about that because of the impact it might have on yeah, your business. Yeah, I was, I was and nervous about that. I was also nervous that by sharing it, it makes it more real. Like I don't want to become known as the person with the health issue. You know what I mean? Like when I share things, I generally become known for those things. But then what started to happen is that people started to write to me and say, I've got two autoimmune diseases, never thought I could have a business. I've got cancer and I, I thought I'd have to give up my business. 
And I became somebody that actually showed people what's possible again. And that I think is why I'm here, like to show people what's possible. So I think it was given to me. If I believed in any, you know, God or universe or whatever out there, I would say it was given to me for the purpose of showing others that you can. Yeah. And if you have to deal with a hundred people DMing you, spamming you with a load of shit in order to get that message out to one person that really needs it, then it's probably yeah. worth it. Exactly that. Um, I've got a final thing on my list that I wanted to talk to you about. We've got a little bit of time. Um, challenges. So you've spoken at Expert Empires twice. You've shared kind of your philosophy around challenges. Um, the first time you spoke about it, I was like, damn, I need to get into doing these. Like, even though I'd, I'd heard about people doing them and I was like, maybe I should do it, but I've got a load of other things that I'm focusing on with the events and everything else. And, and your talk, like, was the final straw it was the it was the punch yeah. in the face i needed to to get into running that model and, and you know we, we've done i think we've done eight challenges now that we've run um you know uh, and by the way none of which have been as big or successful as any of yours however um you know we're in the hundreds of that we're in the you know i'd say we're probably somewhere between if i had to total it all up you know um 300,000 to half a million in total sales that have come That's directly. pretty cool for something that wasn't there before. In, yeah, and, and we did our first one, I think, in October last year. So that's in less than a year. Um, so, you know, and, and actually the main thing is I love doing them because it actually gives me an opportunity to really connect. Before we were doing webinars and stuff, but I'm going, I've got 60 or 90 minutes and I talk and then we make some sales, but this is a real interaction. So um, just share a little bit about the challenge model and like how you discovered it and then why it's become such a key part of your marketing strategy. Yeah. It's a massive part of my strategy. And the way I discovered it as with most things in this industry was because I was looking for a way to do something with more integrity, which is always what I seem to be doing. Um, and I saw people doing webinars and they were connecting with their audiences sometimes, but a lot of it was just about them rather than about the client. And so I was looking at different ways that people were doing things that could connect to the client. I saw a couple of people do some that were, they weren't like proper challenges, but they were like video series with, yeah. with a bit of a, a task at the end. And I thought, you know, this could work really well. Um, and they started doing just 10 to 15 minutes over a five day period every day at the same time to teach something and actually get someone to implement. So get everybody to implement into the group at the same time. So that they were halfway there by the time we got to the end of the challenge. And therefore, the next logical step would be to carry on by going into a program with me. Yeah. But what I really loved about this model and still continue to love is that people that can't afford to work with me still can go away and make money. And that's always been something that I've grappled with. You know, I don't want to give loads of free stuff all the time because then I think it can devalue your company. I don't want to charge people for everything either because then it's not fair on the people who were exactly like me and couldn't afford things and so this model works because yes some people in there are going to then go well you know what I now know how Lisa teaches and she teaches in a style that I like and therefore I believe that I can go into a program and get results with her but the people that can't know that they can't and they come into my challenges because they know that there'll be no pressure selling so they come in they do the challenge and I have people do my main challenge each year is called race to recurring revenue. I have people come into that and then they go away 
and they make upwards of 30 grand from the free stuff given them. And then they come into the program anyway the next year because they've made the money from the free challenge. So it's a win-win situation for me and them. It helps me sleep at night and that's what it's about for me. Yeah, something I've noticed um, to build on what you just said, I've noticed a lot now, um, which I don't factor into the result that I just shared. A lot of times people are coming in for a challenge, getting great value, first time they've met me, you know, brings them a bit closer. Then maybe a couple of months later, they come on another one. And then maybe a couple of months later, they end up attending an Expert Empires event or a one-day live event that I run and it's a small investment. And then maybe in six months down the line, they become a client and join our mastermind. Yeah. And I'm like, so I don't attribute the, I can't track with no. that degree of specificity. So they came to that challenge that they didn't buy anything straight away, but it's building a lot of goodwill in the industry, I think as well, which I really yeah, like. And, and the long time value of, of somebody that comes to a challenge, you know, they are more likely to buy. It might not be that product they buy. They might buy something else. You know, some people just go to a membership, but they wouldn't have known about it if it wasn't that. So I do really, I've tested lots of other ways and um, I still prefer challenge launches, but we are playing with a few other uh, ways of launching at the minute, but I think I'll always do them. Love it. Um, Lisa Johnson, thank you so much. Where should people go if they want to find out more about you, about the challenges you run, about anything yeah. you've spoken about? I think if you want to find out about different ways to launch and what's working in 2022, because I, you know, I always say it changes all the time. If you go onto lisajohnson.com, I've got a freebie um, in my freebie section, which is the launches that are working right now. So it's worth just getting that and, and looking at what you're going to do. Um, but if you just want to chat to me, uh, my Instagram at Lisa Johnson Strategist, I'm that's where I actually answer my own <laughs> my own uh, messages. So come on there and just have a chat or um, tell me what you're up to. I'm always interested. And my Instagram stories is where you'll find the non-curated version of me, usually drunk in some city around the world. Um, but yeah, we have a bit of fun on there and there's some business tips as well. There you go. That's the reason to follow so you can <laughs> look at the drunken debauchery in various cities throughout the world. Um, thanks again. It's been a pleasure as always. See you soon. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.